I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Kristen Higgins is a New York Times, USA Today, and Publishers Weekly best-selling author of more than 20 novels, which have been translated into more than two dozen languages and have sold millions of copies worldwide. Her books have received dozens of awards and accolades, including starred reviews from Entertainment Weekly, People, Kirkus, the New York Journal of Books, Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, and Booklist. Kristen is also the co-host of the Crappy Friends podcast with her bestie, author Joss Day, where the ladies discuss female friendships. The happy mother of two snarky and entertaining grown children, Kristen enjoys gardening, mixology, the national parks, and complimenting strangers on their children. She lives in Connecticut with her heroic firefighter husband, cuddly dog, and indifferent cat. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you, Christy. I am so excited to have you here because you are very much the inspiration behind this podcast. It didn't take long after meeting you to see that you are a champion for newbie writers. You really support other authors. You have a very generous spirit. First of all, thank you. That's so kind of you. And I think it's a direct result of my experience when I first began. I didn't have a lot of writer friends because I wrote my first book in a vacuum. The first conference I went to, I guess I was already published. And I remember I sat between Rita Heron and Sandra Hill at this big book signing and They were so good to me. And they said, you know, oh, buy Kristen's book. She's new. You're going to love her. They hadn't read it, but they were just so sweet and so generous. And Cindy Gerard and I had the same agent. And so we were buddies. And, you know, I'm always, believe it or not, shy about going into a room of crowded people. I've gotten over that, given a lot of speeches and workshops and stuff. But I've always been aware of sitting down and not knowing anybody. And when I see somebody who looks a little lost, I try to grab them and bring them in. When you're a new author, a shout out from an established author is such a thrill, you know, and it gets you more attention than you could possibly get on your own. And so I do have a soft spot for baby writers. You've been extremely gracious to me and I've seen you show that grace to many other authors. I've been with you at RWA when there is a ballroom full of people and there are tables of newbies at the back of the room and you walk over and sit down at those tables. And it's just so fun to watch them and you. And I'm glad to know that people showed you that grace too. And and you've reminded us all to pay it forward when we get that opportunity. And you had reminded us all, there's always room at the table. People aren't going to buy one book. And so Mm -hmm. we don't need to be divisive. We need to support each other. In my opinion, you're the shining star for that. Thank you. The characters in your novels feel so real that like we could reach out and touch them. Have you ever run into one that proved difficult once you introduced them to make them as real and approachable as as they end up coming out in the end? That's a great question. Yes, I have struggled to make some characters. Characters who are different from me are a real challenge to write you know, someone whose end goal is not, say, a partnership or a home or uh, children, because that's so important to me. I'm a mother, wife first, dog owner, then writer. 
<laughs> so I have struggled with characters that I try to give like more of an edge to characters who've had a worse childhood than I've had. And I find that they're really fun to write once I get a hold of them. It's fun to write about someone who's so different from you, has a different view on life, whether it's the bad guy in the story or a secondary character who becomes a primary character in another book. Those are a lot of fun. I, I really like writing the point of view of a horrible person. <laughs> I've done it in Life and Other Inconveniences, a story of a dysfunctional Yankee family. I gave a point of view to this very bad bad father, very bad son, just a bad person living off his mother's wealth. But gosh, it was fun to write somebody who's just got not a caring bone in his body, you know, <laughs> just and really different. You do it so it doesn't come across as cartoonish, you know, that two-dimensional, oh, here comes the bad guy. I mean, you do it where we don't really know all the aspects. And you did that with Genevieve. Was that life another inconvenience? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Where we want to hate her and then you keep peeling it back, peeling it back, peeling it back and showing us the why behind that. You're so good at character development. The other thing I wanted to say about your writing is that you are so good at creating the Greek chorus. They're not, they're not even secondary characters. They're kind of in the background that make mm-hmm. life interesting. In Fool's Rush In, your first book, you had a doctor and she has this old man that comes in. I've listened to that book so many times. There's a scene that to this day, I bust a gut every time. The old man is kind of coming on to this female doctor and he sings the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. That said, when you're writing, where does this chorus come from? I do pride myself on the cast of characters. And most of my books have probably 60 named characters because the town is always such a part of my story too, the setting. And so I try to realistically think about the people you would run into. You know, if you're a doctor, you'll see patients. If you work in a grocery store, you'll see all the people who come through buying groceries. A lot of my books are set in the character's hometown or a place that they moved back to. And I love how things are different through everyone's eyes. One person might say, gosh, I love living here. I'm so glad I never left. And the other might be saying, I can't wait to get out of here and never come back. And both of those viewpoints are completely valid, but you have to explain what's happened to make them feel that way. I always say my other dream job is a psychologist, a therapist, because it's all about how you were raised and who was around you when you were raised and the bad things that happened to you in school, you know, they leave such a mark and we never forget those things. Like ask any girl, how did you like junior high? And they will have horror stories for you. Yes. You just made a great face. (laughs) Exactly. It's horrible. Don't make me go back. (laughs) Exactly. And so I love to comb through those events in a character's life to make them three-dimensional and feel real. I really like to know what it was like when something dreadful happened and how they felt it and how it's made them into the person they are today. What was the best advice you received when you first began writing? That comes from Cindy Gerard. Again, we had the same agent. She wrote Romantic Suspense and we were taken out to dinner. And I said, Cindy, do you have any advice for someone just starting out? And she said, yes, I do. Keep your head down and don't pay attention to what other people say. And that has been the best advice that I got or can give. It's still true. 
because at the time, you know, when I started writing, small town romance was not a thing, or it had been a thing, but it wasn't anymore. It was all romantic suspense, special forces, military, vampires. And if that's not what you want to write, then don't write it. You have to write your book. I also think that you can't listen to too many people when they're telling you what you should be writing. I remember someone said, make your book steamier and you'll sell more. And I thought, yeah, I can't tell you how many fan letters I've gotten from people who say, I'm so glad that I can give your book to my daughter who's 14 or my mother or my grandmother. You know, there are certainly plenty of authors who write steamier love scenes than I do. And yet there's room for us. You don't have to change to be more like someone else or give the people what you think they want because they might not want it. And it's sort of like, be true to yourself, go with your gut and also do be afraid. You should be writing about things that are hard. Even if you're writing a light romance and it's just going to be adorable, there should be difficult moments in there, some wound to get over. So I think that the thing that I dislike about a book as a reader is not feeling any kind of worry for the characters. I say write afraid, meaning if there's a topic or a person that you want to depict and you don't think this person will be very popular or interesting and you want to write that person anyway, do it. I'll give you an example from another great author, Sonali Dave. She's writing a Jane Austen series and her last book, In Sense and Sensibility, she wrote about a candidate for the governor of California. And you think like, oh, God, please, no politics, you know, but she had to write that book and she wrote it from her heart. She said, I know that some people will disagree with the political opinions expressed in this book and I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. Now I'm terrified how the book will do, but this was the book I had to write. I love that approach. Of course, you care what your readers think and you want to sell a lot of copies of books, but you have to write what drives you you know, writing is so hard. So if you're not in it and completely obsessed with what you're writing about, then it's going to be a boring book. So you have to be excited about it. You have to be a little scared. And for the record, Incense and Sensibility was one of the best books I read last year. Oh, so good. It was beautiful and brilliant and heartfelt and brave. It was a brave book. Were you ever in a situation where say your editor or your agent or somebody pushed you into writing something that you didn't feel was authentic to you? I had one editor, she would want certain plot changes and we'd kind of go to the mat about it. But in general, no, I think she was a frustrated writer and she wanted to take my book and put her own spin on it. I remember there was one thing where she wanted my heroine to be already engaged to someone, but he's not the hero. And I said, I can't do that because she'd be cheating on her fiance. She can't be a cheater. That doesn't sit well with me. She said, I just think their relationship would have more meaning. And, you know, we went back and forth and back and forth. And I said, I've thought about what you said and it's just not going to work. And my agent then stepped in and said, you know, drop it. (laughs) It's her name on the cover. It's not happening. (laughs) In terms of genre or topics or anything, no, not at all. My editors have always been very supportive of the book that I'm writing. I've read all of your books, a few of them more than twice. (laughs) For a long time, they were considered romance. Mm -hmm. In my view, they were women's fiction slash romance because I felt like the character arc was as strong as the romance and often stronger. Your last like three or four have leaned farther on the side of women's fiction. 
So when you made that transition, did you get any pushback? Actually, Craig Swinwood, who I was writing for Harlequin, HarperCollins then, and he was the president or CEO of Harlequin. And he actually suggested it. He said, you have a great voice for women's fiction. You're pretty much writing it now. We want to market you in trade paperback. I was surprised because I was in the middle of writing the Blue Heron series. And I said, you really want me to write a women's fiction now? (laughs) And he said, yeah, we really do because you're so well positioned for it. But if we wait till you're done with the series, the market might not be as receptive to another women's fiction writer. So I wrote, If You Only Knew is my official first women's fiction book, pulled from the point of view of two sisters. I wasn't really told to, but it was suggested to me. And I did think I'm pretty much writing women's fiction. These people have a lot to overcome in their lives, in their personalities, getting over things in the past. Witty repartee and kissing is great. And I love writing that as well well, but I can't write 400 pages of that. It's been a few years, but someone had told me to read Kristen Higgins and said, it's romance. And I was like, oh, I don't really read romance. I got my hands on always the last to know. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. That was my gateway drug. You know, a lot of women say like, oh, I don't read romance, but they have actually been reading romance for years. And I've had comments when I was writing for Harlequin, like, really? Your books are published by Harlequin? That's not what I think of when I read your books. And I thought they have a very deep catalog. You might want to look more closely. I do love having a romantic relationship in every book, either one that is about to start that we've been working up to this or one that's smoothed out during the course of the book. I don't ever want to write a book that doesn't have some kind of found love in it. When you're writing, what comes first? The setting, plot line, character? I think of myself as a New England author. I've set books in upstate New York, but I have a very Northeastern sensibility and voice, just the way you have sort of this Texas voice, you know, where there are things culturally that I don't know about your background and you don't know about mine. Just yesterday, I was in Provincetown and I offered to take a picture of these three lady friends. They were from the South. I just stopped and I said, would you like me to take a picture of the three of you? And they're like, oh my gosh, yes. Oh, you're so sweet. And we chatted and I recommended a restaurant and and as they were leaving, they said, we didn't know you Yankees could be so friendly. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, we're not really that friendly compared to say a Southerner who will talk your ear off and invite you to dinner. We're a little more neighborly, I would say, than charming and friendly. I don't want to set books in a place that I don't know, unless it's a character who moves to someplace very different and is a bit of a fish out of water until she gets her bearings. The book starts to develop. It's about the characters in the story and what they'll be facing. And then the setting has to add to the story. It has to mean something. It can't just be a pretty little town in New England because that's a missed opportunity. So I try to make it a pretty little town in New England where there are some issues of being from the wrong side of the tracks or a certain snobbery among the people who've been there for four generations and how the characters have to deal with that. I think a book that doesn't have that element, it's a shame. You could tie it in and make it a little bit more rich and interesting if you really understand the setting. Your latest book... Pack Up the Moon gave us all a case of the heart squeezes and many tears too, yes. but good tears. How did it hit you as you wrote it? 
Pack Up the Moon is the story of a young couple, newlyweds, and they find out that she has a terminal disease and she's given a very short window to live. And the book is about living with a terminal disease and still having a really wonderful life. And also about how do you get through that first year without your person? So it is definitely a tearjerker. I love to cry when I read books. You know, I love that the author has moved me and they're safe tears. You know, I'm not crying about my spouse dying. <laughs> I'm crying about Joshua's spouse and he's not even a real person. So I don't have to feel that bad. That was a very special book to write. It got a little hard when the pandemic hit and I was finishing it up and I was a little stranded because my daughter is a nurse and my husband is a firefighter and my daughter's boyfriend at the time, now husband, he also is a firefighter. So we didn't know anything. It was early days. We didn't know masks or no masks or bleach your groceries. Or, you know, it was very confusing. And I was alone up here for the first time, not by choice at our family's little cottage here. And I really felt the loneliness. I've imagined being a widow plenty of times. I've written widows and widowers in the past, but I was kind of living without my spouse, without my kids, and just felt very isolated and alone. And I think it helped write the book. It was rough writing that. I write my books like someone would make a quilt. You make one square, you cut out all the fabric, stitch it together and put it aside and move on. So I write my books scene by scene and they're all separate documents. So I don't go back to the beginning and just keep rereading the first hundred pages. So I wrote all of Lauren's story first and I wrote it from when she meets Joshua and gets married and has this life. In the story, it's told backwards because I wanted it to end happily. Both their storylines end on this really beautiful note where you have seen the happiness that Lauren had with this guy and the joy and the love that they had for each other. And you know, at this point in the book, he's coming out of it. He's going to be okay. I just loved ending her story with the day that she met Joshua and his story ends with him figuring out he's going to be okay. And there's room in his life for more people than he ever thought. As you always do, you have a new project in the wings. Can you tell us about it? Um, are you talking about Joss Day's garden? <laughs> okay. <laughs> has, has Joss hired you on full time? Uh, she, she, pays, she pays me in water. And, um, yes, I, she, this is, um, my very dear, my best, best friends, your fellow podcaster on Crappy Friends. Right. We're a co-host on Crappy Friends podcast. And, um, she bought this adorable little house, but she's not an outdoorsy person, but she had this perfectly square backyard that's fenced in. And for me living in the wilderness, just to have this little square that's so clearly defined, I was like, let's make a Japanese garden. And I'm going to put a tree here and some bushes there. She's already inside the house. She's like, oh, whatever you want. It, yeah, it's good. I love that idea too. So I go over to her house a couple of times a month with my shovel and a saw. <laughs> my husband won't let me use the chainsaw, but I do have a sawzall. So that's not the project you're, you're asking about, is it? <laughs> Well, <laughs> okay. So I loved writing about a family in the Blue Heron series. I got to deal with this family for five books and I want to do it again. So I'm hopeful that it will be the start of a series, but I haven't shared that with my editor yet. Right. 
you know, hi, hi, Claire. Um, hope you like that idea. I also love having the setting available to you for future books. What a town means to one character can mean something entirely different to another. My beloved hometown where I would never leave versus the town where I always felt second best and white trash or something like that. I want to go back to an island off the coast of Maine where I set a book called Now That You Mention It. I love that island. I love Maine. I was a nanny in Maine. Every few years we go up there as tourists. And there's just a romance about that state, the rocky shore, the lobstermen and the fishermen right there at the docks connected to the restaurant. You know, I love the romance of it. I try to touch on the reality, but gosh, the romance of it is better, you know? (laughs) So I thought I would write about a family with five grown children, four girls, including a set of twins and their baby brother. I love men who have sisters and you can always tell the first time my daughter's husband came to meet us when he was 18 years old, he brought me flowers and I said, do you have sisters? And he said, I have two. (laughs) I'm very interested in the dynamics of a pretty big family where there's a set of twins. I love twins. They won't be my first twins. And I guess that's about all I have to say about that right now. I'm just starting it, having finished a book that I sent in last month. You're in that I'm still a writer glow phase. Like I did it because I don't know about you, Chris, but you know, you finish a book and you're like, thank God that's over, you know, (laughs) but also there's this sense of like, let's see, I have 22 books finished. And I have said 21 times, I'll never write a book as good as my last book. And so you go mucking through all this despair and self-doubt. And like, I've been writing too long. I have no more ideas or this book is stupid compared to the other books. But then you do it, you finish it and you send it off to your editor and say, don't rush getting back to me with the revisions. (laughs) You know. So I've been in this sort of glow of having managed to finish a book the same year my daughter got married and we were in a pandemic and my son graduated from college. (laughs) Amazing. So I'm starting with this idea and starting to look at family dynamics. What are the parents' marriage like? What's the family like? It's going to be a pretty happy family. Where do they live? What did they do? Where did they go to college? Why isn't she already with someone? Why didn't she meet somebody, you know, in high school, college, at the grocery store? So I'm really trying to get a sense of who she is by filling in the details of her life. And by the end of the outlining process, I'll know everything about her and I'll be able to infuse that into the actual sentences that will become the book. So tell us about your outlining process. Pretty detailed. (laughs) I love the program Scrivener. I do not write anything by hand. I know there's a lot of authors who say like, give me a notebook. It just flows or they have the sticky notes all over their walls or the whiteboard. I'm not one of those. I like modern technology. I always say I can't think unless my hands are on the keyboard. I start real basic. Part one, part two, part three. (laughs) And all my books have that, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And I'll start with the inciting event. Chapter one, something happens that's going to cause a problem in my character's life. And sometimes I know a scene that's going to happen three quarters of the way through. So By using this program, or if you're a notebook person, you know, flip ahead a couple of chunks 
to write that down. If it feels right and you're dying to think about that scene and tell that scene, go ahead and write it down. You're going to change it a million times anyway. If you want to write out of order, go for it. And Scrivener keeps that real nice and tidy. And sometimes I'll have you know, like blank scenes because I know I have to fill the book. You can't get to that incredibly pivotal scene for a while. So I'll put like something happens with the family or job problems, something mm-hmm. like that. And I'll go back and fill those in, but they're placeholders so that I can fill out the parts of the book that are organically speaking to me. When I am writing the manuscript, I will read what I wrote the day before, before I start writing today's words. I'm a much faster writer towards the end of the book from about page 250 on. And I often have to go back and kind of clean up the beginning and make it as tight as you can, because of course you learn things while you're writing the book. As much as I think I know everything about my character and I have my Scrivener notes, I'll come up with something that makes so much sense 300 pages in. I'm like, I got it. Now I got to work that into all the rest. But you think like, that's a little gem I've been digging for all this time. And now I have this little diamond and I have to infuse that and weave that into the story. So I love when that happens, like a moment of grace where you're blessed by the writing goddesses and just kind of sunbursts from there. I remember hearing a really smart lady who I'm looking at right now say <laughs> edit ruthlessly, cut ruthlessly, something yes. like that yes. when you're editing. Yes. Yeah, don't be afraid to cut. Ruthless. And no. I, I've also said that I hate my books before I love them. And it's in the hatred that I write better. I think like this chapter is boring or I hate this character. She's just so unlikable. How can I make her interesting enough so we can get to the point where you start to like her like Genevieve in Life and Other Inconveniences? She's this mean old lady at first, but she's also remarkably talented. She has founded this empire. She has asked her estranged granddaughter to come back for the summer and you got to give her something likable. So I immediately give her her friend, the housekeeper, Donnell, who has not worked in 30 years, but lives in the house with Genevieve. And so you see, like, if Donnell likes Genevieve, then we can like Genevieve. I always say, like, those things will be fixed later. If you hate your character now and you think no one will relate to this person, that's okay. You'll edit ruthlessly. You'll slash, burn, rip and tear. And that's where it becomes a book. It goes from manuscript to book while you're revising. Being ruthless is the best advice you can get in revisions. And no one is harder on my books than I am. That makes getting the occasional crappy review a lot easier. (laughs) Did you know? I've already worked through it. Oh, yeah. I felt the same way. How do you prepare for your writing day? I open the laptop. It's as unexciting as that. Um, I, I'm often in my pajamas. I'm really good at sitting. That's one of my skills. I I sit very well in a chair, so I can spend way too long in a chair without moving, except for my fingertips, you know, typing away. I do have an office, a lovely sunny office. Um, Now that my husband and I are empty nesters, we have an entire floor unused. So I plan to make my son's bedroom into a home office. Hi, honey. Sorry. Surprise. <laughs> what you're doing next? Your bed won't be there next time you come home. I I try to find balance. 
can't just plan to write for six weeks uninterrupted because I'm a person who lives in the world. I have well, you have to promote a book while you're writing as well. Promote a book, social media, interacting with readers, being a wife, being a mother, being a daughter, homeowner. You got that podcast too. Podcast. <laughs> get the car fixed. It's not a clean line of, I will sit in my office and write for eight hours. That rarely happens. I do work every day until I'm done with a book. If I'm not writing, I'm thinking about it and stewing on it. And sometimes those are really important days too. You know, it's not just about your word count. It's about, can I really make this into something special? And Maybe I need to step away from the computer. So I don't have those guides of, you know, you must write eight hours a day or 20,000 words a day or whatever. That can't be done, right? Tell me that can't be done. <laughs> Towards the last third of my book, I generally write so fast. And I think, why can't it always be this way, Kristen? And I say, it's just not, just doesn't work that way. 22 books have shown me this is my process. I wish it was a little faster. I wish I could get to the good stuff sooner, but this is just how it goes. And I think every writer has to find that pace for themselves. And also just cut yourself some slack. What we do is so consuming. It takes so much creativity and time and attention to write these fictional people who have complete lives and have this story and this obstacle to overcome. That's a lot. That's not a slacker's job. And you have to take care of yourself so you can keep doing it. And so you won't hate your job because the worst thing I think that could happen to anyone is burnout. What are you reading right now? Hail Mary by Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian. And I just finished listening to The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides. That was incredible, really wonderful narration. And this really twisty, turny story about a woman who's murdered her husband and has gone mute and won't tell anyone. It's been years now since her husband was murdered. And this young psychologist is determined to unlock her and help her. And it was wonderful. In your view, what is good writing? Good writing makes you forget that you're reading. You're living the story. You're in it. And a pony could run through your living room and you wouldn't notice. For me, that's good writing. When I forget that I'm a writer, when I forget that I'm reading, I just feel like I'm in this world. And then you stop and you're like, why is it dark in here? Oh, because it's nighttime now because I've been in this book and I barely noticed until I couldn't see the words on the page. I've come to really love audiobooks as a completely different experience of a book. I love my main narrator, Exe oh. Sands. Also, you're a narrator. I know. Her range is just so phenomenal. Talented. So talented. I have a real appreciation for narration now. And because I drive back and forth between Cape Cod and Connecticut so much, I have more time to listen. Also, because I'm alone so much when I'm cooking dinner or folding the laundry, I put the book on. And I love that. I used to think audiobooks are great in case of emergency. If I'm stuck in the car and there's a lot of traffic and I'll have something. But now I'm really enjoying them as a separate, different experience from reading the book. I, when I get in a reading slump, I'll read like a nonfiction memoir of someone who's living a life that I will never live. And it just kind of shakes your head. Snap out of it. For our baby writers, people just now deciding, mm, maybe I'm going to try to write a book. What would you tell them? Do it. Do it. 
go ahead and try and write the book that you are dying to write. Nobody says, I think I'll write a book without really feeling like I must write this book. I think I could do it. I love my story. So take that enthusiasm and do it. And don't start looking around at the marketplace or fellow writers. Just do your thing. If you have little kids like I did when I started, I wrote maybe four hours a week. Maybe you're a retiree and you think like, I've been thinking about writing a book. If that thought has crossed your mind, I start it because there's nothing like it. I've been talking about how hard it is. It is so joyful and amazing and consuming to write a story and you get so involved and you think all the time about these characters and they're your colleagues, really, you know, they're like your coworkers. So don't worry about getting published, write the book, revise it, revise it again. If you're a baby writer, make it as good as the books that you love to read by the famous authors in your genre and then go for it. Nobody was born clutching a contract. Everybody was born unpublished. So there's no reason that you can't also be a published author. To learn more about Kristen, visit kristenhiggins.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.